and welcome to Set Podcast Just Done, the podcast where we explore, explain, and enjoy the Star Trek franchise. I'm Damon Clint, joined by Subcommander Corey. I, <laughs> I'm Captain Corey. You can't, you can't demote me <laughs> like that. And suddenly I'm a, a Romulan. Also, I wanted to mention we are we're we're, <laughs> we're, we're down a person. We're down Emily right now. Uh, and we were thinking that yeah, she's she's not joining us. So we were. My idea was to call these little fireside chats that we have, where maybe just two of us talk together, captain's log. So it's yeah, I love it. I love it. So we we were gonna start off this one with our pitches for new Star Trek series. It's kind of awesome right now. There's a lot of Star Trek series in development. Lots of different ones. So we thought it would be a good time to pitch our versions of what we think would make good Star Trek shows. The only show that I know about that's out right now is the animated one. Is that like, is that called Lower Decks? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Lower Decks. I'm kind of excited. I haven't seen it. I've only heard of the first episode, but it's on CBS All Access right now. So I need to check it out. It's definitely like in the Rick and Morty vein, I feel like, and very like kind of Futurama as well. My friend Kurt, he is absolutely livid that they're doing like a animated comedy because he thinks Star Trek needs to like take itself very seriously. He says like other people can make fun of Star Trek, but Star Trek can't make fun of itself. Yeah, but I think it's great, and I can't, I can't wait. To I see mean, it. I, I think I'm in that camp as well because with the uh, with the reboot, the the Star Trek new bullshit on. ABC. What I I don't I dude for for being in a Star Trek podcast, I know very little about what's going on in the Star Trek. But you know the new the new the new reboot one. Yeah, and it's on it's on, it's CBS. on CBS. And I, that's one of the things I like about this is that like we don't know everything about Star Trek, so it's it's as much exploring and and you know like finding new things about Star Trek. Like we're we're all Star Trek yeah. fans, but we're not like you know encyclopedias. Oh, the so there was Picard, and then there was whatever the other one was called. What what was it called? It was Picard and. What, Discovery? Yeah. And then there's Strange New World, which is a Captain Pike, Spock one. And then there's like a section, do you know Section 31? They're like the Black Ops um, kind of branch of Starfleet. And I think that's another one that they're developing as well. I'm not sure. If these Some of them, like, it might have been pitched and then not really gone anywhere. But that's that's what I'm aware of. The reason I want to uh, dive into this before I talk about the, the pitches that we have is it's like, what what do I want out of Star Trek, right? Like, why I do not watch any of the new stuff because it, it just, it does not speak to me very much. Um, it seems that there's a lot of genre flipping where it's like, it could be a comedy or it could be like a really intense action movie or kind of like a, almost like scary thing where everybody is sad and depressed and like <laughs> planets are blowing up mm-hmm. and it doesn't have like the the nostalgic factor the seed that i mm-hmm. that i grew up watching none of those do so i'm not going to be like oh they should star trek should only be this because i mean it can be whatever it's it's like one of the highest grossing franchises of all time they can do whatever they want but just personally for me i would want to see the the, the melodrama and and group building and and the humanity is a shining beacon for us all to aspire towards right and that's not really what contemporary star trek is about so yeah anyway i i have two pitches that uh when we were talking about what we wanted to talk about today like we were saying we we could talk about a couple of of pitches that we have um and i think that 
one of these is just pretty stupid, but I just thought it'd be kind of funny to talk about. But I, I guess it would like show like what I would want to see in a in a new series, and a lot of it is like camaraderie and overcoming difficulties, and uh, yeah, maybe a little bit more of a slow burn. People going on a journey rather than Transformers meets Animal House or <laughs> whatever bullshit kind of goes on right now. With lens flare thrown in there, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so you ready for my first one? With all that being yeah, said, let's, let's hear it. Okay. I want you to close your eyes okay. and I want you to the, the the credits open on a lonely Federation ship traveling through a dark pocket of space and it's its power is cut and the ship is all adrift and suddenly through a tear in space a Borg cube appears. So nothing crazy so far. We've seen Borg cubes before. <laughs> the Borg cube links up to the ship, or maybe they like the the Borg transport above the sh- aboard the ship. And what we notice about them is that they all have mustaches on, <laughs> and and they all look like like a lot less clunky than you know like TNG Borg. Uh huh. They they look a lot more like self aware. Uh, are cut. Are they like more futuristic? Are they kind of like sleeker, but they still have like a ton of like cybernetics? Yeah, stuff? yeah, for sure. But they're like, to- but when these Borg go aboard the ship, they're like talking to each other, and they're mm-hmm. like, "What do you think? Is there anyone on this ship?" And another one's like, "I don't know." Signal said that there was, and then one of them turns to another one and says, "What do you think, Hugh?" And Hugh has this really, really long Fu Manchu like mustache. Uh huh. And he's like, I don't know. And so they, they go and they, they start looking around the ship. And then they find uh, some humans on there. These humans also uh, have mustaches because <laughs> we are in the dark universe where <laughs> okay. the humans are the bad guys uh-huh. and the Borg are like going around trying to like kind of like the Rebel Alliance trying to just take out you know, the, the massive power of the Federation because mm-hmm. the Federation has just like spread out across the galaxy and the, the Borg are like the last vestiges of like free, the free peoples who are just trying to get something together. And they've been like destroyed, like their Queens captured. It's really just like Hugh, who is from TNG. Uh, uh, and, yeah. and, and, and everybody has a mustache because it's the dark universe. I should have known that it was the, the mirror universe. <laughs> the mustaches are a dead giveaway. Maybe it's just the Borg that have mustaches, because if everybody has it, that'd be kind of stupid. I mean, this whole concept is pretty stupid anyway. I think the hallmarks of the Mirror Universe is that there's there's excessive facial hair, and then also all the women are like very sketchily clad. So that first scene happens, and then suddenly we do a hard cut to an old-timey ship uh, sailing on on the ocean, and the camera pans up. And it says 1703 Pacific Ocean near Aruba. And the camera pans up to the ship and we see the ship. It says HMS Enterprise. And so like we meet the crew and everything. (laughs) And and like while the crew is sailing, they see like this 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 thing fall out of the sky and like plunge into the ocean, like near a coral reef. And they go over and they check it out. What what I want to set up here is the thing that caused the mirror universe to split was in the past. And that was when the timeline split right there. And it was something that that enterprise crew did. Oh, okay, cool. 
in the in the past that like activated it. At the same time, hard cut. <laughs> there, I don't know which race would be involved in in this, but like there's a race that's been like watching Earth around you know the 1700s, maybe like the Bajorans because they were really powerful then, or the Vulcans, and they come down and they like. And they try and interact with the Enterprise crew, you know, the the wooden ship Enterprise crew to try and like recover this object or try and stop this thing from happening. So mm-hmm. on that side, we see like why the mirror universe split and probably like Enterprise Enterprise crew have to go up into space with the Vulcans or whatever to try and like stop what's happening. So you have this whole like fish out of water, you know, old humanity going up and seeing like what what, you know, will possibly be their future one day while trying to stop this catastrophe from happening in the mirror universe being created. But then we're always going into the future to look at what the Borg are doing because they're trying to set everything right again. And I think like ultimately Mm -hmm. these two timelines would like come together where the old Enterprise crew meets the mustachioed Borg uh, and Hugh (laughs) to put everything back together again. So that's my first God, I love this pitch so much. Would, okay, so I know you're not a huge uh, DS9, you know, you don't know a ton about it. But there's an episode where uh, Cisco he builds an old Bajoran like it's like a solar spaceship. It's mm-hmm. like a spaceship that I, I saw it, that one, and he's yeah. like, he's like, I want to do it the way they used to do it. Mm-hmm. So with the Bajorans, I think that would be even like if you insert that, like if the Bajorans come and they're in their little like solar sail ships or whatever, like that too, like kind of works with the. oh yeah the old sailing kind of world that you set up and then that way like some of the crew of the old of the uh, ship enterprise would be like oh i know how this works like Mm -hmm. it's all it doesn't matter if you're in space or if you're on the ocean like a sailing boat is a sailing boat and maybe like they like ultimately learn how the ship works and they like kind of like take over when maybe like some of the bajorans die in a attack or something like that and they have to carry out the mission on this really old kind of steampunky ship Mm mm-hmm yeah, and they're trying to just like make their way across and they're trying to fight like much more powerful starships using their old uh, knowledge of rigging and <laughs> star locations and whatnot. I love this pitch. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the catastrophe would be that like caused the mirror universe to start. So there was uh, an episode, and I don't know if you remember this episode of Enterprise where... Oh, I love this episode. Yeah, features the mirror universe, and they're able to hop back and forth between them. Uh, and like they're So the people of the good Enterprise have to go and pretend that they are on the bad Enterprise. Um, and I, but I don't remember the phenomena that like made that happen. If I want to keep this in the lore of established Star Trek in in TOS, no, right? in, uh, in in it Enterprise, was, no, in Enterprise, no one was pretending to be to be good people or to be evil people. There was no mix up. It was all it was all focused on the mirror universe people. And then evil Jonathan Archer started to hallucinate about good Jonathan Archer. Oh, really? Right. This is the two parter, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, Oh, it's it's in a mirror darkly is the name of that episode. I don't know. But anyway, like what I'm trying to get at is like, I don't know what the object would be like the MacGuffin that's like mm-hmm. causing them to like that causes the split. So in the original series, um, I believe it was just like a transporter malfunction that that like crossed the two universes. OK, OK. Yeah, but, but yeah, I, I like the idea of like, because the Borg have the ability to time travel, and I like the idea of them having to go back in time to, mm. to assist this 
this 18th century seafaring crew that's out in space trying to complete their mission. Uh, and like the Borg are like covering for them because they're the only ones that have like any kind of advanced weaponry. Um, and the humans are, are just trying to like stay alive and keep their ship going. And I don't know, maybe they're the only ones that have like that can handle the object or, or whatever it is. But yeah, that's that's basically the uh, the <laughs> the show. I like to I like the idea of going back and exploring how the mirror universe went wrong because I think it was all about humans. The only thing that's really different about the the mirror universe is that humans are jerks in it. And in we've seen that like other races are just kind of like whatever they are. Like the Vulcans aren't evil. They're just been like enslaved by humans. And so the humans have kind of like poisoned the universe to make it a lot more like evil and and yeah, and, and maybe when the uh, old-timey Enterprise crew uh, discovers this object in the ocean, they're, like, shielded from the effects. So, like, when they get back to port, they just notice, like, everything's broken bad, and they're the only ones that are like, what the heck is going on? And then that's when maybe uh, the Bajorans show up, uh, and, like, they're like, you gotta set this right, or whatever it is. Yeah, or it could just be some t- kind of danger, or, like, it could kill a bunch of people. So that humans are, like, more wary of, like, aliens going forward. Yeah, like, the butterfly effect was pretty small, but it was significant enough to turn humans in by the by the time, like, TOS comes around into, like, bad customers for the entire universe. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you remember in that Enterprise episode where it starts off with the Vulcans coming down? Yeah, with um, Zephyr and Cockrum. Yeah, and the they planet. shoot them. <laughs> yeah, and then it shoots them and they raid their ship. And then they, they go off to, like invade the, the Vulcans or whatever. So that was pretty great. That was awesome. Yeah. What an amazing pitch. Do, do you have anything else to say about it? Uh, no, I, I guess like it would satisfy all my, my cravings with Star Trek because I think it'd be interesting to the premise being that humanity does have a dark side about them and it is something that is preventable and it is something that good people can stop and I, I like the idea of like a crew dynamic and and like the fish out of water thing and just everything is just flipped on its side where like the Borg are, are trying to put everything back together. And they might even like find out like if we do this, we're going to not be like we're going to be evil. But, you know, at least like the universe will be rid of of this this contagion of like of human wrath and cruelty that has just been set loose like a like a disease Oh, I love that idea, too, that, like, hu- evil humans are worse than evil Borg. Yeah, there, there's a line in uh, in Enterprise that I like where it's the, the Zindi are having their crazy town council meetings where you have, like, the bird Zindi and, all, you know, all the different kinds. And they're talking mm-hmm. about the, 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 the capabilities of humans. And they're, like, they're, t- they're going through the races. Like, the Vulcans are generally all very, like, logical and wise and the... And Dorans are always this, and the, the 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 Ferengi are always like this. But humans don't have any like single defining characteristic that you'd put as an adjective. Like they have every single characteristic in such a unpredictable, like crazy proportion that every human is pretty mm-hmm. unique and different. And I always really liked that. What a great pitch! I love that. It just has it has everything, Corey. So to get to my my pitch, this is a little antithetical to kind of Star Trek as a whole, but I was ju- I just want to like really shake up the Star Trek universe. So my show would be called Star Trek: Colon Civil War. 
So um, this would take place about like 100 to 200 years after TNG. Because one of the things I love about Star Trek is just like the whole world building. Um, so I really want to like, you know, kind of push the, the world building and just the whole kind of galactic civilization a little bit farther. So this would happen in like the late 25th or like early 26th century. And right now what would happen in the universe is time travel is becoming like more common. The, the Federation has advanced to the point where they're, they're inventing different methods of time travel and like time travel is becoming easier and like more accessible. So then there's a split of like how to use time travel, whether or not it should be used. We've seen in other Star Treks where, you know, the Federation has temporal prime directive where you're not supposed to go into the past and interfere with stuff. So I really want to like go crazy and like shake it up. But I think the Klingons and the Vulcans argue for like a more liberal use of time travel of it being like maybe go back and change some things or like prevent things from happening you know go back and prevent the board from from becoming a thing whereas on the other shit side it's the humans and the romulans who think that no one should use time travel it should only be used in like a preventative sort of way so there's just like a big old war of the big sides are like the klingons and the vulcans on one side and then the humans on the Romulans on the other side. And they're like battling each other. I, one thing too I want to throw in it is there's like a race of Datas now. Data is a race. And they, you know, like look different. Like that's the same thing with like humans, you know, where they have like different sexes or whatever. They might even like maybe not look human. Like there might be like different artificial species. We remember in um, the one where Data tries to have a daughter that they, she might, she might want to be an Andorian or like a human or like a Klingon or something like that. And so the, the datas um, are on the side of the humans. And that's like a big advantage that they have is that they have, you know, the, the data race to kind of like help them out. Yeah. And I like I like the idea of a race of androids because it does tie into something that that we have in, in 21st century Earth where identity is a, a much more fluid concept and um like the, the, this is a race of people who basically assign themselves what 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 they feel that they are. So there is no like we're all just like bi bipeds and we all are, you know, white or whatever. Like they they can be like really any race that they want, and they can kind of assume whatever form they want. So I, so I do like the idea that this is a very enlightened new young race that isn't really a race. It's more of a we have we have kind of the same schematics in us, and we have like this 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 sense of like the world is the the universe is is new for us, and it's ours to explore in whatever way we we want. And also, the race of datas they're self determined, right? It's not like humans have plants, you know, that they manufacture. Androids, androids decide how many how many datas to put out. You know, how many androids to put out. One one thing that came up in T and you can finish your pitch here, uh, but like one thing that came up in TNG a lot was what would happen if we allowed uh, the Federation to start producing androids, and it seems like they were really close, even in the second episode uh, or second season of TNG. Like, like, would there be like this this part of humanity that's like? Okay, we don't agree with time travel, but if we have the ability to make datas to run our ships, 
and to, you know, be the, the brains of the Federation for us, we're going to do that. Why wouldn't we do that? We'd be at a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Would that conflict have been resolved and they wouldn't go down that route? I, I would say, like, it, there's still, like, right now, like, an open question of, like, to, like, how determined they are. I mean, like, they're not, like, second-class citizens, but they still there's still a lot to explore of when you have a race of these people, like, how does it work? Because, like, data comes in clutch so much for the in TNG. There's, like, so many times that they would have been destroyed or they wouldn't have been able to, like, achieve their mission if they didn't have data yeah. with them. So maybe to like they get it. There's a high death rate because they're being sent out to to like more dangerous missions and that sort of thing. And so I could see two more exploring that. Maybe maybe this is a different series that like really explores like androids and that sort of stuff um, when it comes to to Star Trek. Um, but I just thought that would be a fun development in in the series. Yeah, for sure. And I wonder like would they have their own home planet or would it be like they there's some that live on on uh the klingon homeworld there's some that live on earth there's some that like want to be andorans and go live with them or would it be like they they have collected together and they are kind of like the the wild card race that uh, in this civil war like you don't really know which way they're going to go because they're still discovering what their purpose is in the galaxy or maybe they go back to that planet that was just... I don't know if it was destroyed by the crystalline entity. I think it was just, like, stripped of life, basically. Yeah. So they, yeah. like, go back to their birthplace. And then that whole planet is, like, a cybernetic planet or, you know, android planet. Because they decided to go back. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. And I, and I like the idea of, like, maybe humans and Romulans are not friends, but they both have this... Kind of this, the way that... The Federation was about not having a cloaking device. Mm-hmm. That's how that's how the Romulans and the humans are about like we do not do time t- time travel because it would just be it's kind of like a nuclear bomb. Like it, either nobody has it or everybody has to have it. Mm-hmm. And so I imagine that if the Klingons and the Vulcans are like, yeah, we're going to do time travel because we can make the universe a better place. It's only logical to use time travel. Yep, you would need to have like counterintelligence humans and Romulans that are like, okay we can't just let them do it freely. Like we have to be able to do it too, but it's just a counter time travel group. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that might be what the temporal cold war was about in enterprise. That's what I'd love to bring back. Cause I thought that was like one of the more interesting parts of enterprise was that temporal cold war, all these kind of different factions. One of my favorite episodes is after the Zindi arc and they go back to world war two and there's that crazy guy who, you know, wants to use time travel. Because I don't feel like that was really fully developed or fully reckoned with in Enterprise. It was more of a feature of it. But to really take yeah. that and, you know, like, should we use time travel? What should it be used for? Is it ethical to, like, go back and interfere with our own race's development to make us, you know, better and more peaceful and save lives and that sort of thing? Yeah, and have, like, to the Robins realize that, like, this just is open open invitation to chaos they usually kind of take every every advantage they can you know but even to romulans this is like a step too far or or maybe you know it's just something kind of in their culture or in psychology that they really just are against time travel so and i think it would be great to kind of like mix things up because you know star trek's all about getting together and that and and peace and that's what i love about it but too like as a story just be so fun to like shake things up and 
and kind of like split some alliances and you know throw some some crazy you know people in there and just develop kind of the thing a little bit more and then what i want to happen is like in the middle of uh civil war like the uh spear builders from enterprise they show up and then it's like a whole crazy war because they come back in the, the 26th century to invade our plane of existence and then you can also bring like the zindi back because they're supposed to be a big part of defeating the sphere uh, builders. So it can just be a great kind of continuation of, of, of Enterprise, which is a show I love. Oh, yeah. And then in the in the climactic final episode, there's like a, a huge battle going on in space. And the, the human ships are just battered. And, and you know, there's one more hit until they're all destroyed. And then suddenly this rip occurs in space time. And this wooden boat comes through it. And just starts firing its cannons everywhere that have been like augmented with phaser technology and just uh-huh. rips through the the Vulcans. Photonic cannons. <laughs> Wait, so is that your your universe coming in and, and joining the story? Hey, yeah, man. It's the same universe for sure. <laughs> uh no, I'm just kidding. That that's that's really cool. I like that a lot. And I like the idea of running the clock forward a little bit and getting out of the same 100, 150 years that mm-hmm. everything has taken place in. Yeah. I think that that's cool. Just like, let's push the reset button. We're not going to have Jean-Luc Picard Jr., the captain. Like, let's let's have just a totally new generation of people. A next generation, if you will. And then also the cool thing is, though, is that since it is time travel, you do have some time travel parts where they go back into the past. So that's when, too, you can bring it back like um, Jean-Luc you know, or like the forge kind of like older. So maybe they either like go back in time and they have to fix like something that went wrong in the mission that, you know, like when Jordy is a captain, he was supposed to do something in history, but then someone goes back and messes with it. So they have to go back and like fix it. And then you can bring back all your old favorite characters and actors and stuff. Bring in, you know, Scott Bakula back and set it like 30 years after the end of Enterprise so we can get like a little peek of what happened after that. Just go crazy. You know, you can just bring all these people back and have a lot of fun with it. So, yeah, that's that's my pitch. I think that would be just a lot of fun, even though it's not like specifically on brand for Star Trek. I think it's just, you know, a way to have fun. Yeah. Get a lot of lens flares in that one. Mm -hmm. It does seem a little action oriented, but I, I think that that's cool that it's like it's it's continuing the narrative of of like the temporal cold war and what happens to these races after all, all the star trek series that were out in the 90s like what what what's the next thing that happens after that mm-hmm. after the dominion attacks like what wh- where, where do they go from there mm-hmm. and I, I like the idea of at least in, in in human history weapons technology has always been a thing that pushed progress be it bronze or gunpowder or nuclear weapons. And when a new weapon technology is is developed, it causes everybody to react to either like develop it as well or to try and counter it uh, or to try and make it illegal or whatever it is. And so I, I like the idea that that doesn't go away, that people adapting to, to the new threat uh, is just going to be a, a universal constant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let's move on to... You had another pitch, didn't you, Corey? Yeah. Why don't you okay. hit, we got me, our, hit me with our it. final pitch here. Okay. I don't have a name for any of these, um, but this one this one is like uh, not as silly as my first one. So this one would start 
where like we just see uh, a Cardassian prison planet mm-hmm. and all the prisoners there are pretty old. They are their job is to like disassemble ships that are either junked or or captured or whatever. Um, and they're, they're all prisoners of war of, uh, of, of a war between Cardassia and the Federation. And this would probably be like, I don't know, 75 years in the future, something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know what happens at the end of DS9 if, 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 there's, if that's like, yeah, there'll never be a war between Cardassia and, and the Federation again. I mean, they're kind of friends, but I wouldn't say that there would never be a war again. So you have all these Federation people that are just on this a prison planet and maybe peace has been declared or it's like a a frosty peace so they're not going back home and maybe the federation doesn't even know that they exist mm-hmm. uh and there's the our main character would be like an old grizzled engineer and he has spent the last like 15 20 years on this prison planet really really slowly making his own ship so he can try and escape oh cool just trying to get enough dilithium crystals or whatever the cardassians use like it's a really really slow process but finally he's able to make something that can get off the planet and he probably brings like a couple of other fellow prisoners with him mm-hmm. and and they escape and they're now like like they don't have warp technology or anything like that they are just deep in cardassian territory and they are if they wanted to try and go home it would take them you know dozens and dozens of years to do that Mm -hmm. so they're kind of in this bad position where they can't go home and they're on the run and if they get caught they'll be they'll be killed the thing that i'd want to set up is it'd be a little bit firefly where it's like a ragtag group of ex federation people i mean they're still federation but they're just so like they're like older now and they don't have any connection to the federation anymore but they still have their skills like yeah i used to be the tactical officer on the USS Einstein or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's like this this group of people and they're trying to get through Cardassia. But then they start to find out that like there's a big revolutionary movement in Cardassia and they they have the ability to influence it and to join up with the Cardassian rebels who are trying to like change the Cardassian society, which is so so militarized and and they find out that Cardassia wants to go back to war again with the Federation. And they have like an insidious plan to just wipe out the Federation. So you have this lone Federation crew in this really crappy ship who's trying to stop this from happening. Uh, all the while just like trying to stay alive and t- trying to to not let the Cardassians know that, that they're you know deep behind enemy lines. And I think it would be like a really multicultural crew because they would pick up rebels from all over Cardassia who want to fight the Cardassian Empire. And they would like be traveling. It'd be very like serialized, right? Where they're just traveling from planet to planet, trying to accomplish missions, trying to like get a message out to the Federation. But I also like the idea of them slowly making their ship really cool, where like the first season, it's just like a it's like a piece of shit. It's just it's just held together by soldering and and whatever the 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 old dude was able to put together on the prison planet and then they're just like kind of like how enterprises where they slowly add more technology to it and make it a little bit better uh-huh. and they're like capturing cardassian ships to like augment their own ship and they're filling the crew out so like the the crew grows with the ship as as the series goes on mm. and then ultimately they might get to the point where they can like start fighting cardassians and uh do their like little psyops thing and try and stop this war from happening that the Federation doesn't know is going to occur. I love it. It's great. 
So is the main character, is it uh, O'Brien Jr.? Yeah, something like that, right? <laughs> I was kind of picturing like a like a like a Southeast Asian guy, like just like maybe in his fifties. Uh-huh. Uh, That's still because yeah, uh, O'Brien married. Uh, you know, she's she's of uh, Asian descent. So okay, go yeah. I I I'd also want to have it where like he doesn't want to be a captain because uh-huh. he's an engineer. Yeah. Um. So he's always kind of like. This, it's his ship. He wants to take care of the ship. And that's like the only thing he wants to do. So other people step in to be captain. But I would kind of like it if it was like uh, like in Harry Potter, the defense against the dark arts position where yeah. it's always just like people are always dying in that position. Like being a captain sucks. That would be great. Yeah. If they if they constantly die. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be like the new red shirts. Mm-hmm. Maybe like a captain would last like a season. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. And then maybe maybe it's a Cardassian who's like, listen, I'm taking over this ship right now because we need it for for the rebel movement. Uh, so you're going to do what I say. Um, or maybe it's uh, a Federation person that they pick up from another planet who was already a captain, and now he outranks everybody. Mm-hmm. She outranks everybody. That's cool. So it, it, I guess it's kind of like Voyager, but like with a very like dire mission. Yeah, and very like small scale. That's cool. I like the, that they don't have warp, too, because it's such a, I don't know, it's such a mainstay, you know, them just like, going all these different crazy places so it's cool that it's very kind of more self-contained are that so it's is it is it like a cardassian rebellion so it's like not the marquee maquis or something like that would they call themselves like maquis too or something no i think it'd be the i think it'd be like the cardassian people mm-hmm. because the the reason that the cardassians are going to go to war again against the federation is because war is a good way to rally your entire population mm-hmm. into and to get them all like they talk about that with the ch- chain of command episode in TNG mm-hmm. where he said like we what did the military do we built schools we built hospitals like the military made society work for everybody so like Cardassian society is falling apart but like you have to, it's like it's very uh, capitalistic and it's very uh, imperial where you have to be in a constant mm-hmm. state of war in order to keep your society held together. Yeah, and the, and the Cardassians love their hostile takeovers. I mean, that's what they did to Bajor, was they basically took over Bajor and then extracted all the resources they could and then basically just discarded it. So that's very on, on brand for Cardassians. Cardassians are like the perfect bad guys. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that they're, I think they're probably my favorite race in Star Trek because they every like i said like every race has that adjective right ferengi are greedy mm-hmm. vulcans are logical but like cardassians are very very similar to to humans in a lot of respect like they have like mm-hmm. they're not like like way too into war like the klingons are where it's like i want to die in battle right like they're like very cold and calculated but not to like almost a cringy level that the um the Romulans are where it's like mm-hmm. we're evil just to be evil like the Cardassians are like very practical like the only way to to grow is through through the military right like mm-hmm. the military and that's how like that's how 20 20th century and 21st century uh like earth is where you have to keep growing and you have to keep fighting mm-hmm. and, and conflict is very profitable so I've always liked the Cardassians as, as a bad guys because there's like a big human element in them they're they're humans that are most like colonialist basically yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Do you think they're analogous to, like, basically space Nazis? Because they did have a space holocaust in Bajor. Um, so, yeah, if, yeah. Do you think they're that, like, you could hang that kind of, mon- not moniker, but, like, 
kind of name on them. They're they're basically space Nazis. I, I mean, I, I, again, I don't know that much about Cardassians <laughs> except for a couple episodes from TNG because I never watched DS9. Mm. So I, I maybe I don't want to call them Nazis because I, I don't have enough. Because the Nazis were pretty bad people. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they're at, they're like a pretty constant antagonist uh, that... The, the thing that they want can't really be sated. Mm-hmm. They, they, they just, they desire more and more. Um, and it's not like the Borg either, where the Borg are almost like ants mm-hmm. and they don't really know what they're doing to an extent. Like they're, they're just doing what their instincts tell them to do. Like, like, like you said, Cardassians are like the, the worst part about human imperialism. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And going back to chain of command, if they're also like, without their ability to like go and take resources for from other people they're very not weak but like very destitute because in that that yeah their society starts to collapse yep so that was like their their way to fix that problem it's interesting how like other civilizations achieve what almost like the comfort of what the federation has but like they don't have like the technology or like maybe you know they the 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 ability to expand or whatever i remember in voyager there's that one race i forget what they do but they they're in it the way they create energy is like very toxic it creates a lot of like other toxic effects and and kind of radioactive you know waste oh yeah so they have to like they have these big barges and they they try and go to like different corners of of their space to try and dump it so that you know they can have like a really nice energy rich civilization when you kind of when we kind of theorize about other civilizations like space brain civilizations the best way to measure how advanced a civilization is is how much energy they can harness and use so like we're like a yeah yep a 1.75 um civilization where we've just learned how to like extract resources from our own planet and put them and use those those resources I think a type one civilization, you might know this a little bit more, but um, is one that can harness the energy of its star, like at a hundred percent efficiency or something like that. Yeah. There's the, the role-playing game that I haven't played yet that I think I've told you about it a couple of times, Diaspora, mm-hmm. where, where it's, it's all, it's all based on that, that energy system. And there's like six or seven different levels and uh, out of the seven levels right now, humans in the 21st century are at like a, 2.4 or something like that mm-hmm. um and there's like because we haven't even like taken advantage of all the energy that our planet receives you mm-hmm. know like through solar and wind so we're, we're not even like we are we're not we're not even like on that scale but yeah the the idea of like try like what how how does a race get their energy in the first place and is there a consequence to it that's why i i always liked the the, the issues that came up in tng about warp speed becoming like an issue where it was causing ripples or something like that, mm. that were, that were damaging to uh, subspace. Was it? Yeah. Or, or yeah, it was like a, our particular, like a particular place in the subspace too, where you could see the damage and that it would kind of ripple out from that, that point in space. That was really, and, and it was like, obviously analogous to what global warming is, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you're using this energy source or you're using this, this means of, of, production and it is it's it has adverse effects and if you keep doing it something bad is going to happen Mm -hmm. so you need to like even though it's this incredible thing that like lets you zip around the universe 
uh, or the galaxy uh, in a very short amount of time, you maybe don't get to have that anymore if you want to have a society that exists uh, in, in, a, in a tranquil, cohesive way. But that's a cool pitch. I really like it. It sounds it sounds like a lot of fun. It's a fun way of exploring the Kardashians, which I agree are they're a very compelling race in in Star Trek. And if anyone's listening to this, uh, patent pending, patent pending, yeah. patent pending. <laughs> this is the copyright. Are they still going to have? Um, so I was watching recently the episode of TNG where the the Cardassians are introduced. Are they going to have those crazy helmets that they had when they were first introduced? Do you know what I'm talking about? Hold on, let me look it up really quick. Oh, it's like a like a visor around their nose. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. What is that supposed to do? I have no clue. That doesn't protect anything. <laughs> yeah, so it's a it's a it's like a strap that goes from their forehead to their nose and then like a Jordi LaForge visor that goes around their nose, around their head. Uh-huh. Like it doesn't even, it doesn't do anything for their eyeballs. And it doesn't protect any part of their flesh at all. Maybe it's just ceremonial, it's like, you know. That's always, that's always the funny thing in, like, archaeology. Whenever they find, like, an object that they don't know what it is, they'll just say, uh, it was probably ceremonial. <laughs> it probably had some sort of a religious rites associated with it. Uh, but then we look at it. And, you know, if they if they were able to look at it, they'd be like, well, no, that was a, uh, that was a sex toy. So... <laughs> <laughs> this planet's just littered with sex toys <laughs> the Cardassians are like these helmets give us incredible <laughs> amounts of pleasure <laughs> like on the there's the episode I think it was Menage a Troy where I think that's when they introduced the concept of Umox because like uh, Troy's mom is like rubbing um, the guy's like ears or whatever and he's, he's like oh no one's ever given me Umox like that and she's like what He's like, well, there's no translation, but our ears are our biggest erogenous zone. Yeah, man. I mean, she's like basically wanking off this Ferengi in front of the camera, right? <laughs> That's what umaks are. Umaks for for fun and pleasure, or for profit and pleasure. I think is is a book that they have. That reminds me, my least favorite episode of any Star Trek I've seen is uh, the game in TNG, where they put on that that Oculus Rift. Oh yeah, the Rift. and then they all just like they all just like play it, and they're like 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 coming while they're playing it. You know, they're like ah, and everybody does it except for Wesley, of course. Yeah. Oh, I hate it's just like you get to see every single actor just o face the, the entire episode. Oh, I hate that episode so much. That's one that I always and the game. Skip. The game is so stupid too. It's just like you're moving a ball into a hole, and I don't know if there's any kind of like imagery meaning behind that uh euphemism but <laughs> i feel it's like them too not really knowing like kind of those like 80s television writers don't really understand what like video games are like or what people want to do in video games so they're just like <laughs> yeah you just throw a disc into a weird like funnel and then you have an orgasm <laughs> those, those, those teenagers are sure strange <laughs> All right. Well, with that, those are some great pitches. Oh, I, uh, I think we can create a new universe with our three shows that we have going on here. <laughs> well, until we see you again, keep on trekking. Oh, geez. <laughs>